0: Welcome to
1: Career Day on the
0: MarTech Podcast.
1: Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is Josh Carey, who is a former web developer turned entrepreneur turned fellow podcast host. Josh's show, The Hidden Entrepreneur, helps business professionals and entrepreneurs unmask themselves, show up every day in situations as their true selves, and reach levels of success that they desperately crave. And today, we're going to talk to Josh about his road to becoming a podcast host, some of the experiences he had along the path related to marketing, and how he suggests that marketers overcome some of their fears. Here's our interview with Josh Carey, the host of Hidden Entrepreneur. Josh, welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Ben, absolute pleasure to be here. Very excited. Thank you for that introduction.
1: Yeah, it's great to connect with a fellow podcast host. And I'm really excited to talk shop and ask you about some of the trials and tribulations that you've seen marketers having. But let's start off by talking a little bit about you. This is our career day episode. So I'd love to hear your path from becoming a part I actually left out in the intro, an actor to a web developer to a podcast host. You've been all over the place. Yeah. Let's just start off. How'd you get into marketing?
2: Well, there is truth to that. I have been all over the place. And I imagine I'm still going to continue to be all over the place. And I love that you said I am a web developer turned marketer turned podcast host. It's just like one series of spinning events, which now that you put it like that, it feels like my life has been. Going back to the early, early days, right out of high school, I was already bitten by the acting bug. I had a short trek from my home state of New Jersey to go right into New York City and feel like I was in the best place for that environment. So I dove into that world and pursued an acting and film career, which happened to last 15 plus wonderful years. But you know, it's not all glorious. Even in the good times, it's still very difficult. Meaning I had to keep myself busy, get a day job, make ends meet. So in the early 2000s, the internet was just sort of seemed for me to really be coming up, maybe like the late 90s, early 2000s. And for whatever reason, I just was drawn to building websites and building community through that. So I sat at a computer in between auditions and performances all day. And like I said, I was just drawn to that world. And I taught myself HTML and PHP and graphic design and web design and building websites to the end of community. I felt a little isolated and lonely growing up. So maybe that was my way of filling that need. Taught myself web design, started building websites for small businesses in my area and everything that goes along with that, helping them show up in a Google search when their ideal client's looking for them and on it goes.
1: So little known fact to the MarTech podcast listening community, I also did theater in high school. So we have that in common. And when I went to college, I originally was thinking about becoming a major to get into acting and voice and singing, which is something that I kind of put on the shelf until I doubled back to become a podcast host I ended up going to school that required you to go and spend two years getting your general education. And then basically, I had lost the bug and decided to get into business and marketing. But growing up, it seems like we had a little bit of a similar background there.
2: Yeah, I didn't lose the bug so easily and really jump to current day. I always acknowledge that my role as podcast host really uses so much of the skills, technique and strength that I've learned every step of the way as a theater performer and an acting major and a filmmaker. I see so much use in all of that skill.
1: Absolutely. The notion, and actually a large portion of my consulting business, the branding is centered around giving your brand a voice. And to me, a lot of the skills that I learned about how to cultivate and develop a voice, I did learn from that early experience in acting. But tell me a little bit more about you as you transitioned from focusing on being an actor in New York City and you started getting into web development, which meant you got into SEO and some other marketing practices. Walk me through the progression there. Did you have a specific area of focus?
2: Well, it turned out to be one. So I started building websites for businesses in the New York area. And in 2007, one of my clients happened to be the owner of one of the bigger dog walking and pet sitting companies in the city. So while I helped him up his game and rank better and tweak his website and whatnot, for me, I was just fascinated by that industry. I didn't know it existed and I loved his business model and his efforts all through this. So... I started picking his brain and I said, I'd love to learn more about this. And he sort of took me under his wing, became my mentor in that role. And he said, why don't you open up your own dog walking and pet sitting business if you like it so much? And I said, well, that would be great. So my girlfriend and I, at the time, we did just that. And because I had the web marketing skills and web development skills, I created our website. It did very well because I already knew what I was doing in that role. And then I started looking at other dog walking and pet sitting websites across the land. And I noticed an opportunity. I said, my goodness, these people have wonderful intentions. They just want to serve the pets. But what they have to realize is there's a whole business aspect to this thing. Dare I say, you have to know how to market yourself and run a business. That's the only way you're going to survive. So I saw this huge opportunity. I had already done the work to prove that I know what I'm doing and I can do it in that industry. So I created a blog for that industry and just started dispensing little known pieces of advice that they can do to make small adjustments and enhancements to their own website. And slowly but surely, 10 years later, I became a significant voice in that industry, created an annual industry conference that we held in Las Vegas every year, and just grew that and put all of my skill, passion, and knowledge into that dog walking and pet sitting niche.
1: So it's interesting. You started off truly as a local business, a lifestyle business you're building a dog walking business that you're actually having to execute the product, not specifically just focus on marketing. You're out there walking dogs or getting other people to do it for you. And you move your experience running a local business and expand it nationally. What were some of the things that you learned that carried from a local individual business to more of a national marketing campaign across multiple different brands?
2: Well, the whole marketing effort needed to change, I realized that I had to focus on content more and not just a more Google-specific ad strategy per se. And that's when I really started putting all of my eggs into the content marketing basket, blogging, creating videos, again, going back to the acting and filmmaking days. I didn't shy away from that. I wanted to learn and grow with that. So I used that as a great tool and just improved more and more over time through that and just knew how to find My voice, really, and what that means and how to be more of a consultant on this brand scale, meaning I'm not just trying to gain one on one clients here to do a one off service. But now I'm trying to reach a more broad audience and I had to really figure out, okay, what elements are in play here? How do I stay current? How do I stay relevant? How do I stay top of mind? And how do I become the voice of the brand in a much bigger way so I can get myself out there and attract the people that I knew would appreciate what I'm trying to do?
1: So you go from being a local business to building a national brand. You move from being focused on more organic growth, and you mentioned some paid efforts, some PPC with Google, to being a content marketer, and eventually you transition away from the dog walking industry, was that because there were other brands that were coming online? I know there's been WAG and Rover, and there's a bunch of VC money that's coming at that industry. Was that the reason for the departure, or did you just fall in love with content marketing and decide to go a different direction?
2: It's so funny you talk about WAG and Rover, so you know that national discussion. So my people, my clients, my crew, my industry We were the independent trying to make a dollar and serve an audience and a market. I loved the challenge of rallying with my people and using that as my why to get all of us on the same page to push through what we saw Wagon Rover doing.
1: I guess the metaphor, I'm thinking of like the ride sharing industry where there was Taxi companies that were localized in each market and then when Uber and Lyft were able to come in and compete on a national level and build a national brand, there was a need for consolidation. That's probably what's happening in the dog and the pet care industry.
2: Exactly. Now, I could have stayed for that. That's not why I shifted out. I liked using that as a rallying cry, like, hey, let's all work to push through this, overcome this.
1: It's great for business if you have the biggest national brand of all of the independents.
2: Sure, exactly. And a good reputation.
1: So tell me, what did cause you to go away from this national pet care brand that you had developed into becoming a podcast host and basically helping business people, entrepreneurs, marketers counter their fears?
2: So... I've always been drawn to the personal growth and professional development aspect of things. I always wanted a better myself improvement, but then I always found myself hitting the same exact wall over and over again, and then becoming growingly more frustrated and back at square one and not really reaching a level of success that I wanted for myself and I thought I was capable of. So i go back to the drawing board, put some something together, execute, and, nah, it didn't really work. and. I just couldn't figure out what was happening until I did, which was I realized that I can't tweak the business before I tweak myself. And I really need to get myself right and admit to myself, if I could, what's happening before I ever expect my business to really soar in the way that I wanted or expected it to. So I started making these changes and started talking about the correlation between personal growth and the success of your business. And I realized that while there could be a role for that within that niche, that's not really what my people wanted. Sure, they could have appreciated it, but they didn't really want me to start talking about how to improve themselves. Just tell me how to improve my website, what business practice, content marketing. So I then developed a passion for this because I started seeing results for myself in my personal life, in my family life with my children. And I'm like, I feel great. I'm getting this. I can overcome this. And I just felt the need to bring this awareness that I was going through, these aha moments that I had, which was hiding behind fear for decades, showing up in the role that I expected others wanted me to be, to play very small and just let other people decide how they viewed me instead of coming to the table with my full strength, my full power, my full ability. And I said, there's a market for that. So I created the Hidden Entrepreneur brand and the first big marketing arm of it is, as you've said, the podcast. So that's where we are today.
1: So talk to me a little bit more about what drove the transformation to you. I understand that you felt that you saw the light, had an inflection moment, hit the tipping point, whatever metaphor you want to use to had some sort of change agent happen that helped you unlock what you felt as your potential. Tell me a little bit more about that experience as you were running a successful marketing services business that got you to step away.
2: Well, it's that whole thing that money can't buy happiness, but I always saw a block. I saw a ceiling. I was making money, I was making good money, I was surviving, I was feeding a family, I was paying my bills, but I wasn't happy. And I saw that and I kept asking, why, what's happening here? And today I have two adoring children, a five-year-old daughter, a three-year-old son that I credit helping me act as that reflection to help show me you can't keep doing what you're doing. And push come to shove here. You have to get it right. Figure it out. And I always knew I was smart enough and able enough to get it right. But I just didn't allow myself. Because like I said, I knew my strength, I knew my talent, I knew my ability, but I continued to make the choice to show up in the world, in the role I thought others expected me to be, which was very small, quiet person, ignoring all of those strengths. So when I finally was able to be honest with myself and say, you know what, I cannot do that for my children, my children are looking up at me. And they're looking at a father who is less than himself, seeking approval. And if this goes on any longer, those are the kinds of children I'm going to wind up creating down the road. I'm going to look back 20 years down the road and see these little children that I created as young adults that are not the best they could have been because they watched me as not the best I could be their whole lives.
1: So, I have a two and a half year old, and I can relate to exactly what you're saying how having a child can force you to examine how you represent yourself. And because they see everything and they model themselves after you, I'll also say that a six month bout of sleep deprivation can really make you think in different ways and really make you evaluate the entire routine down to the fundamental level. So, I understand how kids can be a driving agent for change. Your business today, tell us a little bit about what that is. I know you have the podcast, but how does that actually become a business? Are you selling advertising? Are you a professional
2: services? No, the podcast right now is the marketing arm. But really, it's so funny because I'm 50 plus episodes in, which is a great milestone, they say. But even earlier on, people were saying, How many downloads do you have? or How many listeners do you have? And early on, what I realized was, I don't even care about that because for me, so much of the early success and continued success really today in that regard is the relationships that I make with every single one of those guests. I can't tell you how much good has led from that. And still there's momentum that hasn't even shown up yet that I know is going to come from all that. So to answer your question, at this very point in time, there's no direct monetary value from the podcast, but there's so much more other marketing effect that has come and will come. And of course, there's been financial reward from the relationships that I've gained from the guests. But besides that, what I find that this allows me to do is define myself, define my voice, craft my message, hone my message in the market as I want for coaching and consulting the entrepreneur who wants, needs, and is willing to go down the path that I did. So basically, I work one-on-one and in small groups with small business owners who realize that there is a block, that there is a fear that they are getting in their own way with and ignoring their most basic strengths, talents, and abilities, and just being able to say, that is what I am doing, because we all inherently know what we want to be doing and what we should be doing, but we make every excuse in the book not to do it because we are scared out of our minds. And that's where I was my whole life. And I created what became the exclamation, F that noise which is so much more than an exclamation because that became the five-step process I use and was able to use to bring people out of their fear. The five-step process, N-O-I-S-E, F that noise has helped me bring that message to the people who need it most.
1: So you mentioned that N-O-I-S-E was an acronym. What does that stand for?
2: I'll give you the brief rundown. It's all about emotion. And what you wanna do is, First, the N is to name the emotion. You want to understand exactly what the driving emotion is that is getting in the way. For me, it was anger. It might be a combination of a few, but what is the predominant one? Frustration, confusion, despair, envy, aggravation. So you want to name the emotion. Then the O, you want to own the emotion. You want to take it on and make it yours, which is very scary for a lot of people because we want to blame others. We want to make it about other people. But the minute you own it and make it yours, then life gets very easy because now you can move on. You don't want to change other people. Oh, but he said that, but she did this, but they did this. No, it's about you. You want to own it. The I, you want to identify with it. You want to say, I am angry, I am envious, I am frustrated, whatever that emotion is, because now you are declaring it, not to somebody, not to somebody where there's judgment, but to yourself, to your higher being, however you identify with that. You want to identify with that emotion so we can move past it. Then the S, you want to sit with it, whether it's a few hours or a few days. This doesn't have to go on for a long time. Because the end result is we're going for action. We're trying to create something new and different here. So you want to sit with it just to identify when predominantly does this emotion arise? Is it around a certain person, a certain event, a certain time of day? Is it around a certain topic? Because then you're going to create awareness. This is also about becoming so very self-aware so you can start seeing things before they actually happen. And once you start doing this, after you sit with it, we're then going to create a pattern interrupt so you can slowly but surely prevent yourself from engaging in that emotion because so much of what we do is habitual and it's what our bodies feel comfortable, irony, because pain winds up being comfortable, even though it's painful, so we just go back to this emotion that we know so comforting. So we create a pattern interrupt. Once we see it coming, and then the e is the only natural result, you will evolve into the person you want to become
1: so it's an interesting process, and I can see how recognizing some of the fears and challenges that you have, mostly with entrepreneurship, people that are doing something that's new and different and inventing, and it's challenging being a creator. I could speak to that myself, having run a startup and then launched the podcast. I've got a couple other pet projects that I work on. I hear you. That shit is difficult. And everybody's job has different challenges. Have you noticed that there are patterns of challenges and emotions that people get locked in based on their specific jobs? And if so, what do you notice about some of the challenges that marketers face?
2: Great question. And marketers are no different. There's a lot of blame. People like to blame others. We find it the easy route, right? If it's not about us, that's why that big O, own it.
1: We're always the first ones out the door when the shit
2: hits the fan. (laughs) Marketer's always the first guy to go. Well, I know. So there's always this, it's about someone else, something else, if only this didn't happen. So there's a lot of blame, but it's also fear. That's what all this is obviously about. Once you realize you're getting in your own way, you have the skill, talent and ability and the power to be, to do, to show up, just stop getting in your own way. It's the default way. This is how we are designed. All this other stuff is just stuff we layer upon it. Things can get better. So I want to run
1: through two different scenarios with you, because I think that at least with my experience, I've worked in a large company and I've worked at the smallest of small companies. I worked at eBay, 13,000 person company. I was on a nice trajectory to have what I consider to be a traditional enterprise level job job. And I stepped away from that because I wanted to evolve and I wanted to learn more about the practice of marketing in a general sense and to be more of a creator. And part of my fear working in an organization like that was that I would get stagnant. I'm using my experience broadly, but for people that are working in big companies that feel like they are a hamster in a wheel, you know, a lot of the times with those types of organizations, it's about waiting your two to five years to be promoted and less about what you're doing on an everyday basis to drive results, or at least that's how it feels. How do you advise that they unlock their potential in the environment when they're in these big corporate environments that are very regulated and structured?
2: Well, is there always a way to do so? Isn't that the first question? We want to assume that there is, right? That there is room for them to exercise their individuality and their creativity.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are people that move up through the ranks and enterprise level companies, large companies, traditional organizations quickly there are your fast movers and shakers. And then there are some people who are just punching the clock and handing what's given to them. I was in that position, right? I was constantly wanting to be promoted and more responsibility and wasn't really sure how to get through that path. And that was one of the reasons that left from my departure in that type of role. But I do think that there's some people that are movers and shakers and some people that are just there hoping it happens to them.
2: I would say the people that are hoping it happens to them have to take the honest look within and see what are they blocking themselves from doing. Are they showing up as fully and presently and uniquely as they are? Are they bringing all of themselves to the table or is there a level of fear that is stopping them?
1: So I want to dig a little deeper for people that are working in enterprise-level companies. And by enterprise-level company, I mean a traditional big company, lots of people, managers on managers, very layered. When you have a specific scope of responsibilities, how do you suggest that people that are working in large, complex organization where they are not necessarily in control of the scope of their work, how do they find and implement their individuality?
2: What I've noticed is, I'm going to take this in a different direction, metaphorically speaking. When we are in love, even when we have a new love or we find a new passion, and I'm talking outside of the workplace. Let's think about when you meet somebody new that you just fall in love with, or again, if you're in a committed relationship, think about that time when that happens, or if you come upon a new purchase that really excites you or a new project that you've begun. When you show up to work, isn't there something so much inherently different about you? Isn't your energy all kinds of changed? So the answer is if you are in the work environment and feeling unfulfilled, I think the only place that you can remedy that if it's not directly through the work environment, through expression of individuality or another creative outlet is to find something outside. Because if you're not fired up, In the work environment, you have to be fired up outside of the work environment, and that will naturally overflow in.
1: One of the things that I've seen, and it's maybe borderline inappropriate, but hopefully I'm not going to get into trouble. And I'm going to speak specifically about my relationship with my wife. After we had our son. My wife went back into the working world and we mentioned a little bit about how children can just be a life reset and it changes your priorities and how you view what is important. And when my wife went back into the working world, I felt like she became much more efficient because she was able to more effectively prioritize what was important. What was effective and then what was just extraneous politics and just shrug it off as opposed to some of those things would really affect her. So I feel like by having something that you're incredibly passionate about, obviously my wife is passionate about the development of our son, so am I. But having that other influence and that other thing that drives you outside of work helped her be better at what she was doing and evaluate how she should handle situations within the office environment. So I understand how... Pulling something in from outside of work or making sure that you're getting the fulfillment you need when you're in an enterprise, you know, a scaled company, a big company can actually really help you. It's one of the things I did when I was working at eBay is I started my startup as a side project and learned a ton. And I was able to implement some of that into the work I was doing in the large company. Talk to me a little bit about the flip side. When you're working with people that are entrepreneurs, your show is The Hidden Entrepreneur. So I'm assuming that you do a little bit more of that. There is a whole bucket of fear when you're going out on your own and starting. There is so much uncertainty. I've gone through it. I go through it every day, running this podcast, running a consulting business. What are some of the most common fears that you see marketers or entrepreneurs, people that are doing something new and innovative run into?
2: The thing I'll lead with is everybody knows what they are capable of doing and what they want to to be doing, we get in our own way. We put on this layer of fear. So when I work with people, I don't tell them what to do, what they should be doing. Through conversation, through discussion, through journaling, it's revealed very quickly. People know exactly what they want to be doing, but from all these years of conditioning, we put on this front and we preserve it and we hide it away. People know what they want to be doing. So step one is how can I help you be honest with yourself? How can I help you come to the table with what you know you want to do, feel safe and secure and comforted that this is going to work. We might have to tweak some things, but you're coming to the table with the whole foundation here because you have the vision, you know what you want to be doing. I'm almost acting as this mirror as this person that says, yeah, let's do it. That's perfect. That'll work. Here's how it can work even better. But just find the way to get out of your own way to make it happen. That's the big trap.
1: I think one of the things that I've seen whenever I've been working in an entrepreneurial venture is there is so many different things that can distract you. There are so many marketing operations, legal, finance. You are responsible for it all. And for me, I am a marketer. That was the thing that I always did best. So I found myself just doing marketing activities to keep myself busy as opposed to taking time to reflect on what was working and what wasn't. And I think that in an entrepreneurial environment, having someone there to help you reflect and to take the time to stop and think about your behaviors and the actions that you're taking and what the results are, I think that's incredibly powerful. When you see someone that is feeling a little overwhelmed or lost, My guess is what you're going to say is we help them look at their behaviors and figure out what's causing the fear and reflect. But the scenario, which is, hey, I'm running this startup and I'm terrified that things aren't going to work and I just don't know which direction to head. How do you advise?
2: Well, obviously, that's a process and certainly your guess at what would be the initial is correct. Shot in the dark. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It certainly takes uh, an element of dialogue and conversation. What are you really afraid of? That's a good thing. Not like, ah, come on, what are you afraid of? No, 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 literally, what are you afraid of? Let's go down that road and evaluate and analyze that just a little bit. I was dealing with a client uh, a couple of weeks ago and the way she was talking, I knew, quote unquote, it wasn't her talking. The words she was using and her fears as she was expressing them. And I said, whose words are those? And without missing a beat, she said, my ex-husband's.
1: I was waiting for her to be like, it's my mother.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, close. Either way, right? So for her, it was her ex-husband who they've been divorced for over a year. So sadly, he still has a hold on her and is still keeping her in this fear-based place, which for her specifically, it was about funny enough, not hiring or outsourcing the people that she desperately needed because she didn't have the skills, time or resources to do it herself. But he always made her feel like, ah, you don't need to bring anybody on who knows why. But she was still in that world. And I said, whose words are those? And she said, my ex-husband's. And I said, there it is. We have to start separating you from that and go down the path. You know darn well you should be going down. Let's go.
1: I like the motivational approach, and I like that you're digging deep and trying to help people understand what are some of their problems. Before I let you go, last question. You've worked in marketing. You're now using content marketing, specifically your podcast, to try to help entrepreneurs. Looking back on your career, what advice do you have for someone like you who was early on, people that are interested in marketing to make sure that they unlock their fears from the beginning of their career and act from a position of strength?
2: You have to put your words, your thoughts, your voice out there. So many people want to start a business or attract people into their world, either a product or service based provider, and they don't have anything that represents who they are, what they do, why they do it, who they do it for. So how are they going to get seen? How is anybody going to take the step towards them to say, Oh, I like you. I agree with this. I see what you do. So you have to put yourself out there in a way that is putting yourself out there. Get your name, get your voice out there in some ways. And you know, content could be created in a variety of ways today. Absolutely. I think it's good
1: advice. I think that building your personal brand early in your career, you know, crafting your voice is something that's very important. And I feel like mostly the younger marketers inherently do that since basically birth at this point with the advent of social media and social networking. Every person is a brand and uh good experience making sure that you're maximizing those impressions and helping people understand who you are and what you do. Well, Josh, I appreciate you making the time. Thank you for coming on our show, talking to marketers a little bit about overcoming their fears and telling us about your story
2: as well. Absolute pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much for having me here. Okay. And that wraps up this
1: episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Josh Carey, the host of the Hidden Entrepreneur Podcast for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Josh, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at hiding sucks, H I D I N G S U C K S, or you can visit his website, joshcarry.com, that's joshcary.com. That's J O S H C A R Y.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology, knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up for the rest of the week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast. podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today, but until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.